Greetings, church family. Nice to, nice to be with you today for worship. As you may well understand, brothers and sisters, we are headed very rapidly for a time, and we are now getting in the thick of it, when our constitutional liberties are being uh, completely overrun. They, they, they just maybe haven't knocked on your door per se yet, but they're coming. So we as a people need to understand our constitutional liberties, uh, and even more importantly, we need to understand the word of God, which even in the absence of a constitution that guarantees constitutional liberties, we must understand where our roots are in the word of God. Amen. And um, there's no higher power than God. And there are movements now today that would destroy God from the minds of people and make government the highest power. Uh, there's a, in fact, there's a, a movement going on today. I'm not going to comment on it uh, per se, but it is the, the very roots of it are to destroy God. It's Marxist. It is to destroy God and lead people to believe that their inalienable rights actually come from government. This is false. Our inalienable rights, which means rights that cannot be taken from us, do not come from government. They come from God. And we live in a mindset today, in an environment today, where people's securities and their comforts are more important to them than their freedoms. Brothers and sisters, we've got to set that aside. The people who founded this country were like Patrick Henry, who said, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, Our loyalty to God must be supreme, not our own comforts, our own security. This is an all-out battle for eternity. The devil wants your worship. God wants your worship. And you and I have to decide which side we're going to be on. And this is what the Sabbath test is going to be all about. Who will we worship? The devil is insane. He runs the world. When Christ was here on this earth, the devil tried to get Christ to worship him. And he's trying to do the same thing today. And Revelation 13 specifically predicts that he will get the world to worship him at the end of time. There will be an exception to that, and that will be the group called the remnant. And a, part, a subgroup of that will be the 144,000, which I hope to talk to you uh, today about. I'm going to kneel, have a little prayer, ask the Lord to bless, and then we will take a look here this morning at the book of Revelation. Let's uh, bow our heads or kneel. That would be wonderful. Dear Heavenly Father, this is thy day, this is thy house, this is thy time. This holy book that we study from, the Bible, is thy word. And the souls assembled here for worship are thine. They've been bought by the blood of Calvary's cross. We know, Lord, that in the near future, all of us will make a final decision whether Christ will be our supreme ruler or whether the world and the devil will be our ruler. I pray that our eyes will be so opened and illuminated that we will run fast in the direction of heaven and that we will abandon this world and all that it stands for. I pray, dear Lord, that the Holy Spirit will be with us as we worship today, as we study, as we take a look at thy word. We thank you so much for hearing our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In just a few moments, I'm going to go to Acts chapter 3 in a few moments, so you know where we're going, and uh, and then the book of Revelation. I have here a copy of a book, uh, you well know the name. This is a softback copy of The Great Controversy. 
What I'm noticing recently is that people are more receptive to receiving a book because they're looking for answers. Recently, I went into a gas station about 6.30 in the morning to use the restroom. And as I was walking out of the gas station, there was a lady just several steps ahead of me. She was heading the same direction I was. As I was following her, I was obviously looking at her back. And uh, I was distinctly, in this case, I was distinctly impressed to ask this woman if she would like to have a book. I hesitated only a second or two, and then I acted on the, the impression. And I said to her back, I said, ma'am, I said, would you like to have a book? She turned around and looked straight at me without saying anything for about two or three seconds, and then she said, yes, I would. So I marched over to my van. I got a copy of The Great Controversy, and I said to her, I said, ma'am, this book will prove to you that history always repeats itself, that the Bible is absolutely true, and what heaven will be like. She said, that makes sense. She thanked me for the book and got in her vehicle. There was another lady at a Walmart gas station. I marched over to her. She was standing there smoking a cigarette, talking to a friend out in the blacktop. It was early in the morning, not much going on. Walked over and gave her my money for gas. And I said to her, ma'am, I said, here's a book that will give you a lot of hope to read. It shows you how history repeats itself, what heaven will be like. She thanked me. She said, we need hope in days like this. So I saw her smoking a cigarette, and so I went back to my van. I got a stop smoking booklet, gave it to her. She was happy for that. When I drove off, or as I was driving off, I rolled down the window. I said, well, would your, would your friend like a book, too? They said, yeah, they like a book. So I gave the other lady a book, too. Um, when I pass out a book, well, I'll just tell you this. I'll, I'll decide who I'm going to pass it out to. That is when I'm doing business now, door to door, I'm getting out books all the time. By the way, brothers and sisters, do you realize how dramatic this is? There are people on the impulse of the moment that either say yes or no. And do you realize that in many cases, that will determine their eternal destiny, whether or not they get this book and get the information that's in there? <clears throat> I was walk, uh, excuse me, working a, uh, a farming community and, uh, recently, and there was three men in a barn um, cleaning the barn. And I talked to them, and I, uh, they weren't interested in what I had to sell, so I pulled out the book. And the uh, one man... He looked at the back spine of the book, and he said, uh, he said, what's the author's name? I said, Ellen G. White, or however I said it, E.G. White. He said, I got a book by that author already. It's called The Desire of Ages. He said, I love that book. He's been reading it for several years. He just loved the book. So he got the book for me. He said, the man that sold me that book said there's more in the series. I said, yes. I said, there's five. I said, if you have the first one, the third one, and the last one, I said, you got the best part of the five. So I mailed him, when I went home, I mailed him a Patriarchs and Prophets so he could have that too. But God is definitely using these books uh, to to uh, reach people. Um, yeah, pretty interesting. So like sometimes, of course, I recently I've been traveling a lot again, and um I'll walk, if someone's pumping gas, I'll say, sir, here's a gift for you. That may be the only thing I say about the book. I'll say, sir, here's a gift for you. I went into a Walmart uh, recently, and um, there was a, a black man there. You know how they have people there counting you as you come in now? So, black man there. So, I didn't know who I was going to give the book to. I thought, I need to give the book to that man. And I went in the store. I thought, oh, I want to buy watermelons. And I came back and got a cart and asked him if I could go across the line to get it, and he said, yeah. When I came back, I said, sir, I said, I've got a gift for you. I said, this book shows you how history always repeats itself, how the Bible's absolutely true, and what heaven will be like. And I said, this book also shows you that Jesus wants you in heaven, 
and he thanked me. It's amazing how fast time is going, brothers and sisters. One thing we have got to do wake up is we, have, we must not be deluded by the comfort of the moment. Yeah, if the moment is comfortable, enjoy it, make the best use of it, but don't be deluded by it. Mm-hmm. May the Lord help us now. You know, in the book, Great Controversy, I think it's page 611, it says this. It says, we are living in the most solemn period of this earth's history. The destiny of earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own destiny and the destiny of other souls depends upon the course which we now pursue. Our own destiny and the destiny of other souls depends upon the course which we now pursue. It's huge. You know, last night I was uh, studying with the, with the book club. There's a book club that studies the Great Controversy every week by phone. We were on Chapter 8, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that today, um, as time allows. But um, I did the presentation last night, but I read a statement from page 21 in the book Great Controversy where, it's, where it talks about Christ weeping over Jerusalem. And it says in there on page uh, 21 of the book, it's either 21 or 22 of the book, Ray Controversy. It says there that the loss of even one soul is a calamity. Listen to this now. The loss of even one soul is a calamity that infinitely outweighs the gains and treasures of an entire world. God in his word and through the spirit of prophecy has tried to communicate to us the tremendous value of the soul. And this is why we often need to think about the cross of Calvary and the buyback, the payment that was made there. The eternal self-existent God became man and died on the cross for us. This should, brothers and sisters, we need to be thinking about this more. The cross of Christ and the coming of Christ should be the two great things that dominate in our thinking. You know, recently, as I was coming home, uh, I'd been out of state, and uh, there was a traffic accident. So I, whatever, I, I didn't want to wait. So the traffic was all backed up. I thought, I'm going on down the next exit. I'll take a little longer way home. I don't want to do that. So it just happened to route me back by my old, my boyhood home, and um and just a mile south of the farm there where I grew up, uh, my parents are buried. So I, I, I'd never been back there since they were buried. So I decided I want to go there. And uh, 12 years ago, my mother was buried. 13 years ago, my father was buried. And I remember when my father was buried, it was, winter, it was January, and it was wintertime. And as they were lowering the casket into the grave, um, I could see up through the woods, I could see the almost one mile up to the farm. I could see the barn and the silo there. And at that moment, I thought to myself, here is 46 years of my life gone, just like that. And now it's been 13 years since that moment. And it was a very intense moment for me as I went there and I thought how rapidly that 12 and 13 years has gone. Um, Life goes very fast, very fast. I went to academy with a uh, dear young lady who uh, has been a doctor for her career. 
her husband was an ER doctor, and um, she uh, sent me a text this morning, and her husband passed away about six or eight hours ago. Um, she, um, I talked to her husband this spring, and he, I said, are you going to come to alum, alumni? He said, absolutely not. And, uh, but anyway, she said they spent last evening reading from the Gospel of John together. And I think it's pretty nice if you need to pass away, to pass away on the Sabbath. Yeah. But life is moving rapidly, brothers and sisters. There's, there is a, there is a, can I say it this way? A terrible sanctity to life. A terrible sacredness to life. Here's the reality. The word of God says there's two lakes. One is called the lake of fire and the other one is the sea of glass. And very soon we will all have arrived into an, an, an a spot, an irreversible spot for eternity. Either the sea of glass or the lake of fire. This is reality. And here we are. Earth's teeming multitudes are about to be decided. I'd like to ponder with you some texts in the book of Revelation uh, this morning. And as we, as the clock allows us, we will visit. And by the way, today, if you have a very quick question or a very quick comment, I would like to kind of open it up today for some interaction, uh, if you would so like to do that. And um, I just think it would be good to have a little communication. Anyway, I would like to go first off, as I mentioned, to Acts chapter 3. And look there at uh, a, a verse where Peter is making appeal. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3 <clears throat> and um, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. When you read the book of Revelation in the seven churches, there are seven calls to repentance. Two churches have no calls to repentance of the seven, but in the seven churches there are seven calls to repentance, and the last and final call to repentance is to Laodicea, where it says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, we know that repentance means a change of mind. It means that we're sorry for what we've done, and it's, this repentance is a gift by the Spirit of God to come to us as we're convicted where we've been wrong. And then we repent because we see that our sins have crucified Christ on the cross. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and he convicts us of sin. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you today, if there is anything in your life that you are doing, that the Holy Spirit is clearly convicting you, this is sin, put it away. Don't, don't put that off at all. You know, in the last, in the last week, some weeks or so, it has come to my mind personally 
I've been trying to follow the Lord for over 40 years. But I wish it had been laid upon my thinking years ago to encourage me with the thought that as I, that as I read the Bible or as I read the spirit of prophecy, that I would do it with more of a hungering and a thirsting for, for righteousness and more of a consideration as to how this applies to me. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we see things, we acknowledge them, but we are, we, as human beings, we can tend to be superficial in the way we apply themselves to our own life. Okay? So there's all kinds of things that we read in the Word of God. Let me just mention a few, okay? In Isaiah chapter uh, 26, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. When we read texts like that, we need to analyze our own souls and say, am I really living by that text? When turbulence comes in my life and pressure comes in my life, am I holding on to that promise? There's all kinds of things, guidance, warning, instruction in the word of God. How about Proverbs 17? He that justifieth the wicked. You know what it means to justify the wicked? It means to say that the wicked is okay. He's all right. He that, and he that condemneth the just, you know what it means to condemn the just? It means you're saying a good person is a bad person. Do you realize that both of those people who justify the wicked and condemn the just, even they both alike are an abomination to the Lord? Am I careful to make sure that I don't justify the wicked or condemn the just? We need to analyze our hearts as we read down through the word of God. Hmm. So, in the book of Revelation, you'll read, uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at just a few smattering of verses, and then we're going to come right and focus on Revelation chapter 14, okay? Because what I want to look with you today at is the subject, very briefly, of the 144,000. It is my personal belief that every person who who will compose the 144,000 is alive right now. Now, I'm speaking merely as a human being. Um, I don't know if I will be part of that group or not. I don't know what the Lord's assignment is for me or not. But I believe now that we are so close to the end of time that that entire group is now alive, walking around on the earth. And by the, the, the events that we see in the world today, I believe that the Lord Jesus, as Ellen White says, Jesus and his angels are leading up a people step by step and preparing them for translation. I believe that Jesus and his angels are getting pretty close to the finishing work of getting this group ready, and that's why there's so many things happening in the world, because Christ is going to come soon. Okay? Now, in the book of Revelation, it ends up in the book of Revelation, chapter uh, uh, 22, verses 11 and 12. It says, and you know the, the announcement well, but I want you to think about this and analyze this just a little bit. Okay? Revelation chapter 22, verses 11 and 12, it says, He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is unholy, let him be unholy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. 
Okay? In fact, <clears throat> I'm going to read it here. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So what you're looking at here is a statement in the book Revelation of Revelation by Christ. This is pointing forward to a time when Christ, before he leaves his position in the most holy place, is going to make a pronouncement concerning all the inhabitants of the earth, and there will only be two categories, those that are unjust and those that are holy, those that are righteous and those that are not righteous. Christ is going to make a pronouncement. Then he's going to terminate. He's going to stop his intercession. The plagues will be poured out, and then after that, he's going to come back. Okay? I want you to think about something here just a little bit. You don't have to try to be wicked. You're born with a fallen nature, and unless you're converted and born again, you're lost. Okay? The question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I become righteous? Isn't that right? How do I become righteous? And here is the answer. And I will give it to you from the word of God. But the way we become righteous is by faith. And faith means that we come to Jesus just like we are. You don't even repent before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus just like you are. You, by faith, you completely depend upon him. And you say, Lord, take my heart. I confess my sins, and I'm depending completely upon you. And when we do that, Christ will accept us and give us of his spirit, and we can go on our way. Not carelessly, but with carefulness and constant dependence on Christ. Remember when Martin Luther was visiting Rome? And the Pope said, if you want to get forgiveness, you can, of course, there was various ways you could do it, pay money. But in this case, it was climb up Pilate's staircase there in Rome. And Luther's doing his work to earn favor with God. And he gets about halfway up this broad stone staircase. And he hears God's voice thunder to him. And God spoke to Luther the words of Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. And you can read the story in chapter 7 in the book, Great Controversy, but he sprang up out of that place and he realized that he was depending on his own works, not on the almighty God to justify him, to cleanse him. And he got out of there and it says in the book, Great Controversy, that he realized as never before the need for constant dependence upon the merits of Christ. We must constantly depend upon Christ. Let me share something with you. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is is a complete Savior. Okay? And I want to look just a little bit here in a few moments at the greatness of Christ. But when the soul reaches out after Christ, he sees it. The Lord Jesus created this entire universe, 
He knows our thoughts afar off. Read Psalms 139. And when the soul reaches out for Christ, he sees it all. Read the book Steps to Christ. It says the relations between Christ and each person are as if there was no one else on the earth. He's not hindered at all by the amazing multiplicity of his work and duties. He can focus right in on you. So trust in him and depend upon him. Okay? We must constantly and completely depend upon Christ, no matter what it is, our weaknesses, whatever. Desire of Ages, page 429, tells the story of the man in the Gospels who had trouble believing in Jesus, and Jesus read his heart, and he realized that if he didn't believe, his son was not going to be healed, and he cast himself at Christ's feet, and he said, Lord, he said, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And then Desire of Ages 429 comments on that, and she says, you can never perish while you do this, never. I want to read you a statement here from the book, um, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Listen to this. Page 112. We receive Christ through his word. It's that simple. We receive Christ through his word. So when we feed on the word, we are feeding on Christ and we are receiving Christ. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You know, one of the most wonderful chapters, one of them, it's one of many, but one of the most wonderful chapters in the Bible is Psalms 119. Psalms 119. It's rich. It's so rich. Verse 93 in Psalms 119, the psalmist says, I will never forget thy precepts. That is your words. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me, meaning through your word you have given me life, and I will not forget it. It's like the blind man in, in, in uh, John chapter 9, when they were come, came after him and heckled him, and who was it that healed you and they were trying to run down his faith and the man said hey he said why don't you believe in him he said whether the man's a sinner or not i don't know but he said one thing i know whereas i was blind now i see they couldn't shut the man up and they disfellowshipped him from church because he had a testimony they couldn't overcome so yeah we have absolutely wonderful books to read we have the bible to read and we should be very thankful for this okay now let's read a few verses in the book of revelation and then i want to go right to revelation chapter 14 we'll talk about that as we conclude and if anybody has any comments or questions please feel free to um, speak up so let's go to revelation chapter one and uh, i want to read verse three here 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Revelation 1, 3. It says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That's verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. One time I was talking to a man and showing him the book Great Controversy. He said, and I said, you know what? I said, this book will really explain the book of Revelation. He said, oh, he said, I was just in a funeral, and the preacher told us you can't understand the book of Revelation. I said to him, I said, well, you know what, sir? I said, you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to believe the preacher or the Bible. And I quoted him verse 3 here in the book of Revelation. And you know what? He took the book. Remember another time I was showing a man the, the book, Great Controversy, and explaining to him a little bit. He was kind of hesitating. He said, what if I don't like what's in this book? I said, it doesn't matter whether, you not, whether or not you like what's in this book. I said, what matters is, is it truth? And he accepted the book. Hmm. But it says, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein for the times at hand. Now, if you happen to have your hands on a book, Testimonies to Ministers, from page 112 to 118, there are repeated statements in Testimonies to Ministers encouraging God's people at the time of the end to study the book of Revelation, which also includes the book of Daniel. There's a brother here sitting in this church today that can make available to you a wonderful compilation of resources on those two books, Patrick here. But we are encouraged to study the book of Revelation. And one of the things it says in that section, it says, those who eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, that is those who are truly feeding on Christ from the word, those who eat the flesh of the, man, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, will bring from the books of Daniel and Revelation truth that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. And they will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. That means that for in the book of Revelation, there is truth for God's people in these last days that even the, all the forces of hell will not be able to repress or stop. Hmm. Amazing. Another thing it says in that section, it says one thing that will be definitely understood from understanding, uh, from studying the books of Daniel and Revelation is that the connection between God and his people is close and decided. Mm. In fact, let's look at a couple texts that would demonstrate that. If you go to Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, and uh, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. Christ is speaking. He says, I stand at the door of the heart, the soul. And he says, if you'll open the door, I will come into you. Brothers and sisters, that is an intimacy with the eternal God that cannot be superseded. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, notice verse 20 is before verse 21. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get into that just a little bit as we have time. I'm really watching the clock because we want to move here. But yes, prerequisite to overcoming sin as Christ overcame it is to receive Christ into the life. Then you will have the power to overcome sin. Okay. Tim that overcometh, while I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. You got to think about that. You know, Martin Luther, Martin Luther was an amazing man. 
especially considering where he came from out of Catholicism's spiritual darkness. He was an amazing man. You know, when he was brought on trial, just to read about that and ponder through it in chapter 8 of Great Controversy is very soul-uplifting. When, when he was brought for trial, the first day he said, you know what? They said, are these your books? He said, yes. And they, and they said, do you recant what's in here? And he said, well, he said, seeing this is such an important uh, question to answer, he said, I want to wait till tomorrow to answer that question. He said, because, he said, I might affirm less than the circumstances require or more or say more than the, uh, however he said it, I'm not quoting exactly, but he said, I might either affirm less or say too much and thus sin against the saying of Christ when he said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you also before my father. This man had such a deep grasp of scripture and the import of it. He had really embraced it. Do you know, J.A. Wiley says that sometimes Martin Luther, he didn't, at first he didn't have a Bible of his own, but he would go to the chapel and there was a Bible chained to the wall. And when he would read that book, he would say, oh, that God would give me such a book. But J.A. Wiley, the historian, says that sometimes he would spend an entire day meditating on one verse. One verse. Do you realize that in even one verse of the Bible, there is the, the infinite, omnipotent power of the eternal God and his redeeming grace? I just read you a statement. We receive Christ through his word. And Luther said, my, my conscience is chained up with the Holy Scriptures. Okay, uh, one more, and then we'll go to Revelation chapter 14. Uh, if you go to Revelation chapter 17 and look at um, verse, beginning with verse 13. Revelation chapter 17, verse 13. Revelation 17, 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. This is talking about the um, ten horns on the beast and the final rebellion of the world against God. It says, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb. And what's going to happen? And the lamb shall what? Overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Obviously, they will not be defeated either. Brothers and sisters, I want to share something with you. We... We are, as you well know, we are, we are headed right down the, the corridor of heading into the last days. And it's going to come with such overpowering force that unless we are rooted in Christ and in the Bible, we will become intimidated. We've got to really, let, let me just share this with you and then I'm going to get back into the Bible. But Satan is an artist at making the wrong look right, for one. Ooh, are we seeing that today? He is an artist for making the wrong look right, and he's also an artist for making the right look defeated and the wrong look victorious. And this is totally the reverse of the facts of the matter. Truth will triumph. The third angel's message, which gives the last warning to the world, will triumph. The Sabbath will, the seventh-day Sabbath, will triumph over the false papal day of Sunday as the day of worship. It will triumph. 
God's people will triumph. These shall make war with the Lamb, the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. The truth will triumph. Okay? Now, I just thought it would be nice today or good to talk to you a little bit about the 144,000. And please feel free, if you have a quick comment or question, I'd be glad to respond to it. But let's read just a little bit about them in the book of Revelation, and then we'll make some, may, be make, making some observations here. Okay? First off, let, there's two chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 14. We'll read a few verses from each chapter, and then we'll make some observations based on what John has passed on to us from this um, book. Revelation chapter 7, it says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So what John is saying, he sees four angels holding back the four winds. We know biblically that winds mean strife, okay? Do you realize we're headed for anarchy, brothers and sisters? This world is headed for anarchy. Yeah. But the angels are holding it back for the moment so that God's servants can be sealed in their foreheads. And it says there was sealed at 144,000. All right? Any questions or comments? When you go on and read down through the chapter, it says of each tribe, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000, the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000, the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Joseph, the tribe of Issachar, Nephilim, there was 12,000 from each one of those tribes. Now, if you want a very interesting study, read, just read sections in the book of Genesis about the life of Jacob and his 12 sons. What a batch they were. Levi, Simeon, they were cruel. They retaliated over a wicked deed done to their sister and murdered a whole tribe of people. Look at, you can go on down through the list, Reuben, Simeon. And you know what? The Lord finally got a hold of their hearts and washed them in his blood, and they were converted men. Those 12 tribes represent the 12 major types of groups of people uh, that are of humanity, and out of those groups, God is going to seal and translate 12,000 people from each one of those groups. It'll be 144,000. Now, there is some debate about the number. I believe it's a literal number. Let me tell you why, some of the reasons why. For one, we are told that at the end of time, there will be many martyrs. I believe that's Maranatha, page 199. Many martyrs, okay? 
We are also told, and the spirit of prophecy says, Ellen White says, the Lord repeatedly showed this to me, repeatedly showed this to me, that before the final conflict, many young children and many aged would also be laid to rest. So you're going to have a lot of martyrs. You're going to have a lot of the very young, a lot of the very old. It's going to have to be a group of people that have a certain level of physical fitness and certainly understand and have a grasp of this message to understand it properly, okay? But they will be cooperating with God, all right? Now, let's read from Revelation 14, then I'm going to comment some more here. So let's go to Revelation 14. This is the other section in the Bible that um, describes them. John says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him in 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the beasts and the elders. And no man can learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. Chapter 1, or I'm sorry, verse 1 in chapter 14 says that the Father's name is written in their foreheads. In other words, these people have been transformed by the Spirit of God to the point where they have the very character of God the Father in their foreheads, in the frontal lobe. Okay? They are very close with God. We're told in the book Patriarchs and Prophets that this group of people will walk with God as Enoch did. Revelation chapter 14 says that they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These people are very absorbed with Christ. They're very in love with him. They have pursued him. They love him much. By the way, and as I can, I'm going to read a few statements out of the book, Great Controversy. I can show you a paragraph in this book where she especially dedicates this book to the 144,000. Did you know that? Yeah, I'll prove it to you. Okay? It's in the introduction, okay? And there's a paragraph near the the, the end of the introduction that says this. And I'll quote it, I'll mention it, and then I'll show you why I draw that conclusion. In the introduction of the book, Great Controversy, it says, in these records we may see a foreshadowing of the conflict before us. In other words, there's a lot of history in this book, and the history in this book that we see here shows us what we're exactly headed for again in the future because history repeats itself. It says, in these records we may see a foreshadowing of the conflict before us, regarding them in the light of God's word and by the illumination of his spirit, we may see unveiled the devices of the wicked one. In other words, in a preeminent way, the book Great Controversy unveils to the reader the devices of Satan. That's why he hates this book. She says, we may see unveiled the devices of the wicked one and the dangers which they must shun. Then she quotes two words. And the dangers which they must shun who would be found without fault. Those two words, without fault. Before the Lord is coming. There's only one place in the Bible when, where those two words are in that sequence. And it's in Revelation chapter 14 verse 5. Describing the 144,000. 
And we could spend probably an hour just reading statements, other statements that I've observed from the book Great Controversy, where she speaks to that group repeatedly, repeatedly, throughout the book. Okay? Um, now, one thing that I'll do for you here is um, read a f- just a few of those. Listen to this. This is page 665. Now, this is talking about heaven when we get there and the, the groups around the throne, okay? It says, Nearest the throne are those who were once zealous in the cause of Satan, but who plucked his brands from the burning, have followed their Savior with deep, intense devotion. So she's going to describe, she is in this paragraph here describing four groups around the throne. The first group, she says, are those who were once very zealous in the cause of Satan. They've been plucked as brands from the burning, and they follow Christ with very deep, intense devotion. They're closest. It's not the 144,000. Isn't that interesting? Now, the 144,000 is the next group. And And here's what it says about them. Next are those who perfected Christian characters in the midst of falsehood and infidelity. Next are those who perfected Christian characters in the midst of falsehood and infidelity, those who honored the law of God when the Christian world declared it void. You see, this is going to be the group at the time of the end that not only by voice but by life will vindicate in its final stage the character of God in the great controversy. They perfect characters, it says. And then the next is the group of the martyrs, and then beyond that is the great body of the redeemed. Okay? Pretty exciting. Let me share with you something about the 144,000 also in this book that I find very, very interesting. Um, And I should have been better prepared, but I think I can find it. Okay, let me read just a little bit. Here she's, this is over a page worth of reading where she's talking about the 144,000. Please listen. I want you to listen very carefully. Look, brothers and sisters, I don't know what's going on in your mind right now. But do not, do not come to any conclusions that you're not able to be in that group. Mm, Don't, and I'm going to read you another statement after I read you this. Please listen, please listen. I want to read this because I think it will maybe give you some hope. If you're, if you're looking at your own humanity right now and you're saying, you know what, it's not looking very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You realize there's hope for you? Please, let me read this. Let me read this. In all ages, the Savior's chosen. She's talking about the 144,000 here. There's like at least a page or more. Okay, I'm going to read some of it. In all ages, the saviors chosen have been educated and disciplined in the school of trial. They walked in narrow paths on earth. They were purified in the furnace of affliction. For Jesus' sake, they endured opposition, hatred, calumny, which is false accusations. They followed him through sore conflicts, through conflict sore, They endured self-denial and experienced 
bitter disappointments by their own painful experience they learn the evil of sin its power its guilt its woe and they look upon it with abhorrence a sense of the infinite sacrifice made for its cure humbles them in their own sight and fills their hearts with gratitude and praise, which those who have never fallen cannot appreciate. They love much because they have been forgiven much. Having been partakers of Christ's sufferings, they are fitted to be partakers with him of his glory. It says they love much because they've been forgiven much. By their own painful experience, they have learned the evil of sin, its power, its guilt, and its woe. Okay? I want to share something with you. I think you'll see this. It's about 176 years or so since 1844, right? Isn't that right? Please listen. Please listen. The Lord, we are told in inspiration, the Lord could have come over 100 years ago. Do you realize that God is waiting for a people who will cooperate with him and be among this group and be part of this group? Let me read it to you. Okay? This is uh, 7A of the commentary, page 414. Let us then take our minds off the perplexities and the difficulties of this life and fix them on him that by beholding we may be changed into his likeness. Behold Christ. When you read the Bible, when you read your steps to Christ, when you read your desire of ages, behold Christ. Hunger for him in there and you will find him. We may behold Christ to good purpose. We may safely look to him for he is all wise. As we look to him and think of him, he will be formed within the hope of glory. Now, here's the statement. Here's the statement. Let us strive with all the power that God has given us to be among the 144,000. Let us strive with all the power that God has given us to be among the 144,000. Brothers and sisters, our God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your color of skin is or whatever. God is simply looking for people that hunger for him and hunger for his righteousness. And those are the people that he's going to save. And those preeminently are those going to be the people that are going to, be, that are going to make up that group, the 144,000. In Revelation chapter 14, it says that the lamb, the, the 144,000 are with the lamb on the Mount Zion. Now, we have further details when you look up the book, early writings, maybe around pages 16 to 19. And the Lord took her off in vision, and she saw a temple on Mount Zion that will have, it has seven pillars on the front. And on the front of that temple are the names of each one of the persons in the 144,000. They're emblazoned on that temple in gold. And when she was in vision, she wanted to go in the temple, and she was told no. You can't go in there. She was told only the 144,000 are going to go in there. Interesting, isn't it? Let me tell you something. That group is going to have a camaraderie experience 
and a fellowship experience that is going to be very amazing because they passed through the last time of trouble without a mediator. They have vindicated the character of God. They've overcome all sin. They've walked with God. They've trusted totally in God, and they will be honored in the next world. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, yes, absolutely. This is You could prove this from both the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. There's no doubt about it at all. In fact, if you go, for, for one, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's another statement around page 670 in the book Desire of Ages. She says the honor of God, the honor of Christ, is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. You see, what the Lord wants to display to the world in these last days is a personification of Christianity that reflects the character of Christ fully. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great Controversy, page 623, says that Satan could find... um, Nothing in the Son of God that we respond to his temptations. Uh, he, uh, the, and then she quotes Christ where he says, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And then it goes on to say, This is the same condition that they must be found who will stand through the time of trouble. In other words, temptations to impatience, temptations to lust, temptations to hate, temptations to Sabbath breaking, you name it, go on down through the list. On down through the list, they will have by the grace of God repeatedly rejected and overcome those temptations so fully that Satan will find nothing in them that he can get his hook in. And they will prove preeminently that the law of God is fair. They're the weakest generation. And um, it's amazing. I think I better quit, but I'm not going to quit right now. Give me maybe three minutes, maybe. Now, I want you to think about something. Just, I want you to think a little bit. Oh, I was going to tell you, we want to talk about how great God is. Well, maybe we'll try and do it now, just real quick. I want you to think about something. Do you know any device that man has made where he can travel 35 miles in five seconds? Is there any machine that will carry a human being 35 miles in five seconds? Do you know of any? I don't know of any. Okay. Do you realize that if you travel at the speed of light, you will travel around this globe 35 times in five seconds? Okay. Do you realize that heaven is beyond Orion? And that in order for you to get to Orion, you would have to travel for 1,360 years, which is about 70,720 weeks at the speed of light to get to Orion. Uh, It would take you 1,360 years to get there just to Orion at the speed of light. Mm. Do you realize that it would take you 100,000 years just to travel across our galaxy, the Milky Way, 100,000 years at the speed of light just to travel across the span of our one galaxy, and they say there's about 200 billion galaxies out there? Do you realize that when we go to heaven, we're going to get to heaven in about one week, which means that we're going to be traveling at least at least 70,000 times faster than the speed of light when we're on our way to heaven? By the way, that's vacation mode speed. Gabriel gets here a lot quicker than that. 
Read it in Daniel 9. Okay? I had not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Do you realize, Ellen White was told, you're not among the 144,000, but you're going to travel with them, and you and the 144,000 are going to see every piece of real estate that the Lord has created in the entire universe. I want to share something with you. When the disciples were bickering about position, Jesus said to them, he said, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? They said, yeah, we're able. Uh, oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Look, chalk it off. Those who are faithful through to the end, whether we're martyrs, whether we're martyrs or, or hundred, whatever, chalk it off. Be ready because you will go through suffering. You will go through persecution. You will go through dark days. Plan on it, expect it, and hang on to the promises of God. This book, Great Controversy, is the handbook for the 144,000. Study this book. Okay. I'd love to talk another half an hour. I'm going to wrap it up, and uh, I've already gone past my three minutes, but I'd like to read this here and then uh, be done. The, um, this is an uninspired statement that's very inspiring, and it's biblical. <clears throat> okay. It's possible that Herbert Douglas wrote this. I don't know. But I'm going to read it to you. It's from the comments on Leviticus chapter 16, talking about the Day of Atonement, which we are living in now. Okay. It seems eminently fitting that God's remnant church should be time's noblest offspring. On them shines the light of all past ages. They have inherited not only the weaknesses of past generations, but also the accumulated biblical knowledge of the ages. To them has come light on scripture as no other as has been given to no other people. They have the light on the sanctuary. They have the more sure word of prophecy. To them have been entrusted the oracles of God. They understand the work that Christ is now doing in the courts above. They have been given the inestimable privilege of heralding to the world that the hour of God's judgment has come and that the end of all things is at hand. What manner of men ought they to be in all holy conversation and godliness? May the Lord help us to be faithful in these last days, to hold on to him, to hold on to his word. Paul said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. May God keep us faithful and obedient no matter what our circumstances, and may he give us wisdom. We desperately need guidance from heaven. And so may the Lord bless you. Lord willing, we'll be together again and we can study some more.